Welcome into the CHGO Blackhawks podcast presented by PointsBet. Use the promo code CHGO when you sign up to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. Happy Thursday. I'm Jay Zawoski with Greg Boyson and Mario Tirabasi. As usual, we are joined by a special guest, Scott Wheeler of The Athletic. He recently published his prospect rankings, and as the NHL team really doesn't matter for the next half decade, uh, we are hyper-focused on the Blackhawks prospects, <laughs> so that's where we're going to start today's show. Later on, uh, Max Domi met the media uh, earlier today and had some really great stuff to say about Luke Richardson, so we're going to share those comments as well. As well. But first, want to welcome uh, Scott to the show. Scott, I know you're a busy man. Thank you for taking the time out to join us here on CHGO Blackhawks. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, guys. This is obviously a big week for me with the drafted prospects rankings coming up and, and prep for the World Juniors. I fly out at the end of next week, so... Uh, getting back into the swing of things I had last week off, uh, sort of following the draft, but now it's right back into it with the world, those sort of weird world juniors this summer. <laughs> I'm just glad it's back. I'm glad we get to watch it. I'm just, it's so funny. You know, the, the cup was won not that long ago and I already mm. miss hockey so much. <laughs> I know <laughs> it's going to feel different. Uh, obviously there's a dark cloud hanging over hockey Canada these days and yeah. That plus just the fact that this is being played in the summer, that it's being played without Russia, uh, it's. I don't think it's going to feel really at all like the World Juniors typically do. The World Juniors are kind of my Stanley Cup and my favorite part of the hockey season. And I don't think I'm going to have that feeling when I get to Edmonton. But it's still, I mean, for the kids, it's still the World Juniors. They're still playing for a gold medal. It's still going to have that that excitement for them. It's, I don't think it's going to feel different for them. They don't know any other experience. So uh, it, it's going to be great just to, watch these kids play get updated viewings on all of them all of that and there and there might be some uh there might be some blackhawks flair to it as well yeah and the fun part about it is you get it in august and then hey three months later here it is again so it's like double dip good stuff yeah halifax is awesome too it'll it'll be it'll be loud it'll be great i love when the world juniors are hosted in the smaller towns instead of the big nhl barns it just it, it feels a lot more exciting when you're sort of in those smaller rinks. I mean, the, the rink in Halifax is what, 11, 12,000, but it's still, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be rocking. And the, the coyotes are envious of that rink. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> make sure you're following Scott. the coyotes joke. Damn it. <laughs> make sure you're following Scott on Twitter <laughs> at Scott C Wheeler and subscribe to the athletic. It's great. Of course, subscribe to all chgo.com too. You can do both, you know, you can do both. Um, so the list came out. Let's start with the, uh, you've got your top, uh, 50 prospects under the age of 23. The stipulation, too, is they've all been uh, drafted already. Top NHL prospects under 23, the top 50. And the number one rated Blackhawk you have on the list is a guy who turned a lot of heads at development camp a couple weeks ago, and that's Frank Nazar. Yeah, Frank is is a special player. Uh, obviously, I, I had him ranked actually a little bit higher than Korchinski, who they took before Korchinski. Um, but both, I mean, we can get into both of those kids. I'm a big fan of both of those kids for very different reasons, but Frank with the way that he skates kind of one of one him and, and I would say Matt Savoy in last year's draft class, maybe Brad Lambert, those were probably your three best skaters. Uh, and Frank's just looks so, so much more effortless, e- even relative to, to Savoy and, and Lambert Savoy is kind of that explosive first three steps, power skater. And Frank is just that sort of effortless. It almost looks like he's floating out there with the way way he sort of glides around the ice, how quickly his skates get off the ice when they touch back down, uh, kind of has that 
I hate to say Matt Barzell because that's pretty lofty, but kind of has that Matt Barzell flow to it. Uh, and so that that piece of the puzzle is exciting in and of itself. But then beyond that, the creativity, the ability to play make, uh, all of that is is gets really high grade. So he's the real deal. I, it's I think it's going to take him maybe a little bit longer than some of the players who were drafted in and around him to reach his ceiling. Um, he, he's going to spend probably two three years in college. He's not. I don't think he's going to be a one and done guy, which there are other players in this last draft class who could be one and done, including Logan Cooley, et cetera. Uh, but that's that's just where he's at in his development. He, he's got to work on his defensive game still if he's going to be a center at the NHL level. Um, so there are there are little things to, to iron out there with him, but the raw sort of talent, the creativity, the playmaking, and certainly the skating is, is a lot to be excited about. You know, what struck me about Nazar's game was uh... – his speed, even when his feet weren't moving, he he seemed to have the ability to just to get fast wherever he had to go. And you point out in a scouting report that he, he's you know fast on the, along the boards, fast down the middle. He he's just for a guy who's not the biggest player in the world, he's he's kind of plays a fearless game. And if if you wanted to, I, I don't know, just look, we got to watch him do drills for a week. <laughs> so you know, Scott, you know <laughs> way more about him than we do, but. Almost like if you were to uh, mesh Alex DeBrinkit and Andrew Shaw together is kind of the vibe I got. And probably not that physical and not that scrappy as Shaw is, but just the fearlessness we saw in his game a lot too in development camp. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. And that has come. That wasn't always there. One of the criticisms of him early on at the program in his under-17 year with the national program was that he sort of drifted to the perimeter a little bit too much, that he needed to play to the inside, and that his game was all about speed, that he was just racing for breakaways and he was trying to play as fast as he can. And as soon as he got the puck, it was just go, 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 go. And I think what he learned in his U18 year and what really began to distinguish him was he doesn't have, his speed doesn't have to be... 24 seven. It doesn't have to be sort of constantly pushing up the ice. And when it is like that, I think he just finds that he's ahead of the play too often that he's pushing up with the puck in control and ending up in one on threes or one on fours because his teammates haven't caught up with him. Right. And that in and of itself is its own problem. So he has learned to just kind of flow with the play a little bit better and to play in bursts and to decelerate. I think uh, uh, so much emphasis is put on acceleration in hockey these days and this belief that it's a track meet. And frankly, I think a lot of that is actually overstated. I think the players who can change tempos, who can slow down and then speed up, who can make defenders miss, those are the kids who really define uh, sort of the way that the game is trending. So he has become more of that. He's become more of, more picky with how he uses his speed. And I think as a result, he's, he's just become a much better hockey player. But as far as the, the sort of middle lane drive, the fearlessness, that, that has just come over time. It's come with confidence. Uh, I still wouldn't spell him as you kind of alluded to. I wouldn't call him a scrappy player. He doesn't have that sort of edge to him like Logan Cooley can at times uh, where Logan was just always in the mix after whistles, etc. So um, uh, uh, that piece of it was, uh, I think just sort of happened this year. It, it sort of came along this year. Maybe that comes further once he gets to Michigan and has to play against bigger, stronger college competition more consistently. They play college teams at the program, and he actually played quite well against college opposition. But I'm interested to see how he does as far as the physical side of it uh, next year at Michigan. And he's going to a Michigan program that just recently uh, had a number of top 
top players that were all drafted in what the top 10, top five seems. But then there was kind of a drop off. Is he going to a program that is kind of somewhat like the Blackhawks, kind of like rebuilding, retooling their their system? Or is he going to a Michigan program that's kind of uh, still looked at as one of the top programs in the country? Yeah, they're still loaded. Um, I'm not sure whether they're going to make it to the Frozen Four like they did last year. Uh, but they're still one of the pound for pound most talented teams in college hockey. There's no question. I mean, they've subtracted a lot of guys for sure. Owen Power's gone. Matty Beniers is gone. Kent Johnson is gone. But they're insulating those guys with Adam Fantilli and with Frank Nazar and with Rutger McGrody. And you go down the list. It's an it's another sort of top of class freshman class entering the Wolverines this year. So they're going to be very good. Luke Hughes is returning. Um, there's a lot of talent there. It will be interesting to see where he plays in that lineup. Obviously, Fantilli is also a center, right? So he's got that to contend with in terms of first power play, first line, that kind of a thing. Um, So I suspect that he's more of a second or third line guy in his freshman year uh, at even strength. He'll still get his power play time and all of that. But Fantilli's going to be one and done. I fully expect Fantilli after the 2023 draft to jump right into the NHL. Uh, so maybe that opportunity comes in terms of first power play, first line. Maybe that's more of a, a, a sophomore year kind of thing for Frank. So uh, with him, I, I think they, the, the most important thing is that there doesn't need to be a rush. Um, it, he He's not Logan Cooley. He's not Adam Fantilli. It doesn't have to be sort of get to the NHL as fast as I can. I think he'll be better served by sticking around. Next on the list, you've got number 30, uh, Frank Nazar. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> Kevin Korczynski, the defenseman uh, the Blackhawks drafted ahead of Nazar. And it's weird doing our live show during the draft. It was funny. Um, the pick came up. We're all saying, Nazar, Nazar, Nazar. They take Korczynski. And we're all kind of like, well, that's too soon. And then they get Nazar down the road. So uh, tell us about Korczynski. Again, a development camp. Definitely looked like a first-round pick. Definitely stood out among the other Blackhawks defensemen. A uh, big, really strong skater. Uh, you could tell just had a lot of confidence about his game. Uh, what do you see Kevin Korczynski's NHL potential being? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. He has developed extremely quickly, but the bread and butter of his game is that he's a long, mobile kid who plays with uh, uh, fearlessness and confidence offensively that is pretty rare. Uh, he's a playmaker. He wants to go out there and hang out of the puck. He wants to walk off the offensive zone, blue line deep into the zone, and then throw that seam pass. He wants to sort of play in transition with the puck and transport the puck. That's his game. Kevin is a very aggressive, ambitious player. Sometimes to a fault, it comes with some mistakes. It comes with some sloppy decision-making at times. But the the package, as far as the length and the way that he handles and carries and skates with the puck, is pretty exciting. And then the big thing that happened for him over the last couple of years is he he grew really quickly. He was actually a small offensive defenseman when they drafted him in Seattle, and then he suddenly went from five foot ten to to six foot two. And it, it's funny, I did a story on him this year, and one of the things that the coaching staff in Seattle and the management group in Seattle told me when I was doing the reporting for it was that he was actually a pretty bad skater. It was a pretty ugly stride when he was the smaller player. And what happens when players have growth spurts like that is it typically actually gets worse, right? You typically you struggle with that sort of gangliness that comes in as a teenager and your knees can tend to knock when you have that growth spurt. And what happened with him is for whatever reason and the way that he skated prior, it just kind of straightened him, straightened him up and straightened him out. And he actually became a better skater when he had the growth spurt. So 
just everything has just kind of happened really quickly for Korchinski over the last couple of years. And then on top of that, he's a young kid. He's, he's a summer birthday, right? So uh, there, there's more runway for him than some of these other kids. He's seven, eight months younger than a lot of the other defensemen, like a Pavel Mintyukov, for example, who were drafted right in that same range as him. So the belief is that he's got more runway here to take advantage of, and he, he's going to continue to develop, and he's still early on that steep incline as far as his progression. So that piece of it, is exciting if you're a Blackhawks fan because he was tremendous last year. He also got much better defensively. He was really good for them defensively in their playoff run to the WHL final before they ultimately lost to Edmonton. And if he just keeps getting better at the clip, he got better last year, then he's going to be a, a top end, a top end defenseman at the next level. A lot of comparisons were made to Keith with between him and Kevin Korchinski, and that carries a lot of weight in Chicago. Is that, to me, that's that's a very uh, very lofty goal to kind of compare him to. But is is that you know kind of is is that fair for Kurczynski, a, a guy who's uh, you know got that that skating ability that a lot of people rave about, and and, and the offensive instincts that we saw uh, a player like Keith have throughout his uh, eventual Hall of Fame career. Yeah, I, I think Keith played with a, a little more snarl and and physicality than you're going to see out of Kurczynski. Korchinski's not shy, but that's he's a sort of stick-first defender, whereas Keith in his prime was a pretty stand-up kind of defender, right? Like he was playing tight gaps. He was sort of in your face. He was initiating a lot of bumps. Uh, he wasn't sort of maybe laying people out. He wasn't Nicholas Cronwall, but there was a, a physical element, a presence to Keith that I don't think you'll ever see out of Korchinski. I think his game defensively, probably won't quite ever get to the level that Keith's was at during his prime. But offensively, certainly I think there there are some similarities in terms of the way that they play. Um, the, the common player that uh, actually sort of came up more, uh, more often just in terms of conversations I had with NHL teams was maybe kind of like a, a budget Roman Yossi or kind of like a, a, Kling, a John Klingberg. Um, a, 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 just a a very mobile, very talented playmaking defenseman who still has that length and likes to kind of rove and involve himself offensively. I mean, Klingberg and Yossi, when they're at their best, they're they're very involved. They're skating a lot. And I, I think that's what you're going to see out of Korchinski uh, long-term. I think the ceiling is much more likely Klingberg than Yossi. Obviously, Yossi's a Norris contender. But uh, if he can become Klingberg, that's still a, a great seventh overall pick, right? Klingberg in his prime was one of the better offensive defensemen in the league and still not a liability defensively. I don't think Korchinski's ever going to be a, a sort of top defender. He's not going to be a shutdown guy per se, uh, but if he can play a regular shift at even strength and then ratchet up those minutes on the power play, uh, then suddenly you've got a, a, a very good NHL player, right? Uh, you mentioned how he's younger than a lot of the prospects he was drafted with. Uh, what do you see his NHL timeline being? How far away is Korchinski from getting an actual, you know, solid look at making an NHL roster? Yeah, it's interesting. I kind of see him taking the same path that someone like Caden Gooley has taken in Montreal. Uh, very different players, but just as far as timeline, Caden went back for two years. Uh, there was debate after the first year whether he was going to make the jump. I think he'll be in the same kind of conversation with Korchinski. He's obviously going back next year. He's going to play in Seattle. Seattle looks like they'll have Brad Lambert into the fold after trading for his rights. Sounds like Brad's going to make the jump 
to the from Finland to the WHL. They expect again to be even after graduating a lot of uh, their sort of twenty year olds. They still expect to be a contending team next year because of their their young core being a, a step further along and adding Brad. So he's going to be on a very good team next year. And then I think training camp the year after it gets interesting, right? Like you have to when you're as talented as he is. If he goes back and has another 60, 70 point season. Uh, and then is is one of the best defensemen in the WHL, works his way onto the world junior team in Halifax, that kind of progression, then th- those are the players that get looks in training camp. That doesn't mean he plays in the NHL a year and a half from now, but th- I, I don't think that's completely out of the question for him to be the kind of guy who gets an aud- spends next year in Seattle and then gets an audition, a strong audition in training camp, if not uh, an early audition uh, out of training camp in the NHL. But the, the best route because of his age and because of some of the sort of kinks that he still has to work out, uh, the best route for him is probably just two more years in, in the WHL and then you make the jump after that. I don't think that's the worst thing in the world for him, even if it feels like he's becomes sort of too good for that league uh, because of his age, because of the way that he plays, because of the need for him to sort of fill out that frame of his further. Um, there's just no, there's no rush. And the uh, the last guy, uh, Blackhawk, on your list uh, was the only guy that was on the list last year. And then, of course, Lucas Reichel, uh, a name that everybody here in Chicago is, you know, interested in. He had a really great year uh, with the Rockford Ice Hogs. You mentioned the only under 20 player to, to eclipse a point per game average. Not didn't blow anybody's doors off at the end of his little taste in the AHL. But he dropped from 17 to 41 on your list. Is there a, a specific reason or is it just more to do with kind of like the influx of new talent uh, uh, that came in this year? I don't believe he was 17 on my list last year. He was set 17 on my draft ranking in his draft oh, year. That's, okay. uh, that's my... I don't believe as far as the top 50 that he was 17. Um, but no, I, I read mean, that wrong. My mistake. No, no, no. I mean, he he belongs on the list. I'm a big fan of Lucas. Lucas was a kid I was really high on in his draft year. Obviously had him slotted a few slots higher in his draft year uh, than where he was uh, taken. Uh, ha- uh, I had him 17th, and I believe he went, what, 20th or 21st? Um, so a, a lot to like about Lucas. Lucas has just played such a uh, – almost a flow game everything just seems so kind of effortless for him when he's in control of the puck. He's one of those kids who's great on his outside edges, just sort of weaving and twisting and turning and shading away from, from sticks and protecting the puck and sort of carrying the puck off the wall for like a little, a little bit of a cut to the slot and that kind of a thing. Um, Doesn't happen in those sort of pull you out of your seat, dynamic highlight reel moments, but there's just a lot of subtle skill to his game that allows him to make an impact over the course of 60 minutes offensively. So uh, really looking forward to seeing what he does with it next year, because he is, um, he's one of those kids who it's tricky because he almost uh, is going to get more of an opportunity in Chicago next year than he probably would in almost any other organization. Like it just seems like he's one of the top AHL young players from last year, who's going to be gifted uh, gifted a look, right? Like he, they just, it, it, they, I think they know that it's in their best interest to play him in a top six role and just play him there pretty much all year. Uh, there, there should be nothing holding him back from doing that. So uh, there is that for Jacob Pelletier and Matthias Maselli and Jack Quinn and uh, the, the other sort of 
players in his age range uh, who who were top players in the AHL last year. They're they're all just in organizations where it's going to be tougher for them to get those minutes. So I think as a result, he's going to he's going to sort of succeed. He's just going to naturally get minutes, get reps, get touches. He's probably going to come around, come along at the NHL level a little bit quicker than some of his peers next year. And I'm really looking forward to seeing him do that because I think he's absolutely capable of taking that and running with it. I don't think he's going to be a star. He's never going to be a point per game guy, but if he can become a 50, 60 point winger, uh, those are still what six, seven, seven and a half million dollar players in the NHL these days. So uh, not every first round pick needs to become the $9 million guy, right? I think he can just become a very good contributing sort of top six winger and, and they need that. They're going to need that. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with the opportunity that he's likely going to get. We have a question in our chat from Jason saying, is there a particular type of line mate he might have the most success with at the NHL level? He was quiet in his few games last year. Uh, what do you think? What, what kind of complimentary players could could work well with Reichel? Well, I think you'd like to see him with at least sort of one go-getter on his line. He's not the physical forechecking sort of puck retrieval guy. Um, he, he he works hard. It's not an issue for him. He's not quote-unquote soft or he doesn't cheat or anything like that. But he's certainly not the sort of physical pull everybody into the fight type. So I think he'll benefit with that kind of a player. Um, maybe that's the opposite wing because centers don't tend to play that game. Uh, almost all sort of of those sort of go-getter uh, forechecking types tend to be tend to be wingers. Uh, but if you play him with that guy and a, that kind of guy and then a talented center, I think he's going to fit in really nicely on a line like that. So um, someone definitely needs to be the, the first guy in on the forecheck. I think he just excels sort of playing off the puck a little bit more, getting it into little catches and little give and goes and little uh, sort of slot shots and that kind of a thing. He plays and uses space uh, really, really well. So um, playing off of a line mate like that, I think would benefit him. Um, there's, there isn't really a guy in this current sort of uh, Blackhawks team that fits that mold perfectly. But again, they're, this Blackhawks team is not what it's going to be three years from now. Anyways, that almost feels irrelevant. Yeah, hope not. So. <laughs> Scott, you've been really generous with your time and we have a lot more to get to. Can you hang out for a little bit? Do you, do you mind doing maybe 10 more minutes? Is that all right? Yep. All right. Yep, great. We're good. Real quickly going to tell everybody about uh, our friends at points bet. The best way to support us here at CHGO is to download the points bet app and use the code CHGO. When you do do that right now, and you'll get those two risk-free bets up to two grand. And if you make that $50 or more first time deposit, you're going to get a free CHGO membership, a free CHGO t-shirt, access to all of our great web content, all that awesome stuff just for making a $50 or more first time deposit at PointsBet. It's your home for live and play betting. You see an edge in the game you're watching. Is your favorite team primed for a comeback? Don't just watch the game. Bet along with it live. Download the PointsBet app right now and use that promo code CHGO. It's time to elevate your live betting game. Once the game starts, don't just bet. Live your bet life with PointsBet. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER for crisis counseling and referral services. And stay tuned for our PointsBet Play of the Week later in the show. All right, so you had your list of goalies as well. And we got a good look at Drew Camesso, who on your list of the top 10 goalies under 25 came in at number eight. 
We know he's a few years away from the NHL. He's going to Boston University. He made sure to tell us several times that that's where he's focused right now. <laughs> Drew is very, I'm focused on BU. That's all I'm, That's all I care about right now is BU, 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 which makes a lot of sense. Uh, but he seems to be, um, you know, the Blackhawks' greatest hope in goal uh, with maybe Arvid Soderblom uh, a few notches below him. But let us know about Drew Camesso uh, from what you've seen in your time covering him. Yeah, Drew's uh, awesome. Uh, he a very studious goalie. Uh, he's not one of those goalies who has the quickest feet or has the explosiveness. He doesn't have that sort of Yaroslav Askarov who's coming in Nashville kind of quickness and agility, similar to sort of what Jonathan Quick and Marc Andre Fleury had in their prime. Uh, and and that I think when you're six foot two, when you're not a huge goalie you often want them to be sort of extremely quick, right? They, if, if you're going to be a smaller goalie, teams are looking for you to be just faster than the bigger, heavier guys, right? And I think what has allowed him to be successful despite that is just he's always sharp on his angles. He swallows that first shot so that he doesn't have to make that big rebound save. And he, there's just a poise and sort of calmness about his game that allows him to just see the puck in front of him, track the play. He's really good at tracking, sort of anticipating passes, um, reading shooters, knowing where they're looking, all of that. Uh, he takes a lot of pride in that, I think, because he doesn't have that sort of Askarov explosiveness. So um, just a very complete goalie, good hands, like good glove hand, good blocker, plays the puck well enough. Um, all of that is 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 strong. He's he's not uh, he's not the biggest goalie. He's not the fastest goalie, but just the the technical skills are all there, and he's got a really really good head on his shoulders. So I think that can often carry a goalie, even when you're not the most talented goalie in the world. I think coaches have a lot of time for the goalie who just calms everything down, who's consistent in his habits, who makes the first save. Uh, who, the, the, that sort of consistent 9-10, 9-12 goalie is almost a bit of a, a lost art, right? We, we've got so many goalies in today's NHL that swing from the 9-25 season one, one year and then next year they're 9-04 and you're wondering, okay, how, how, how does this happen? There's a lot of highs and lows, even in the very best goalies, unless you're Andre Vasilevsky, really. Uh, the very best goalies in the NHL, we've seen it with all of them, Connor Hellebuck, John Gibson, you go down the list of the last decade, right? All of those goalies have had hot and cold spells. Sergei Bobrovsky, Frederick Anderson. I think the beauty of of Camesso is that he just doesn't really tend to have those lows. Um, he got off to a bit of a slow start last year, uh, but their whole team did. I mean, they, they were banged up, injuries to their top players, suspensions. Tyler Boucher was a mess as a top freshman. Um and, and things just really didn't go well at BU early in the year. And then there he was at the end of the year with that 915 save percentage for the second season in a row. And there's a reason that USA Hockey feels they can bring him into the men's program like they have. And it's just because he's just a good kid. He's got a, he's a smart kid. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He sort of behaves like a pro. And those things, I think, can get too much attention sometimes. Ultimately, skill is going to carry you. But uh, he's, he's a decently talented goalie as well. So I just think he's going to be an NHL goalie. He may not be a bona fide 60 game number one guy, but I, I would not be surprised in the least if he's a really good tandem goalie. You did have Arvid Soderblom as a, as an honorable mention in that, mm -hmm. uh, in, in that goaltending piece. Um, just kind of quickly, like what, what do you, what do you see out of him? You know, he had a pretty good season in his first year in North America last year in Rockford and uh, is, is a young guy has some time to develop yeah i mean he was great last year and he's he's had a strong track 
record of pro success now. I think that's eventually you just build enough of a track record and it becomes hard not to give you opportunities. And I think that's what our, that's kind of the situation that Arvid's in. He wasn't a top prospect growing up. It's just kind of happened organically for him where every step of the way he's gotten better. The numbers have, have gotten to a consistent level. And then eventually you've got to give him a look. He's obviously a little bit bigger than, than Camesso is. He, he also just looks bigger. I think he's only like an inch, inch taller and maybe 10, 15 pounds bigger on the actual sort of stat sheet. But when you look at him in the net, he, he, he looks big in there. And I think that's a testament to the way that he fills the net, his positioning. Um, he's, he's got a little bit more of a dynamic quality in the net, I, I would say, than Drew. Uh, but there are also, I, I think, shots squeak through his body maybe a little bit more consistently than Drew. So very different goalies. But I, I think, they're. I mean, if you're talking about a tandem situation, which is frankly, where most NHL clubs are these days, you talk to NHL folks and scouts and they say that the goaltending is not in a great spot right now. Part of that is that scoring is up and the, the forwards are getting better and offensive defensemen are entering the league more frequently now. And we don't have the sort of stay at home refrigerators of old, right? Like the, the grinders of old, all of those people have sort of gone the way of the dodo. So scoring's up. And as a result, goaltending looks weaker by proxy. But I, I think it's fair to say that Really, outside of Shesterkin and Vasilevsky and, and Hellebuck for a few years, um, we'll see what Hellebuck looks like this year and whether he can bounce back. But the, it, goaltending isn't in a great spot. There's not the Luongos, the Carey Prices, the Marc-Andre Fleury's, the Tim Thomases. There isn't strength in numbers as far as true bonafide number one. So uh, if they end up in a tandem three years from now and they're committed to playing those kids and they end up in a tandem with with Soderblom and, and Cabeso, maybe that's a fine spot to be in, right? And if only one of them makes it, then you're fine too. Yeah, not not every young kid has to make it and become a guy. Maybe one of them becomes a tandem guy and the other guy becomes a number three, and that's a fine outcome as well. I'll tell you guys quickly about Athletic Greens and their AG1 formula. Uh, it is it is designed to improve your gut health, optimize your immune system, and give you more natural energy. In one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. Different dietary restrictions. It's easy to incorporate, whether it's gluten-free or dairy-free, whatever it is, easy to incorporate into your life no matter how busy you might be. Right now, it is time to reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. Uh, to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you got to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash chgoblackhawks to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So uh, honorable mention to Soderblom, which we appreciate. Um, who are some of the other Hawks prospects uh, that we should keep an eye on. We saw a couple people uh, stand out. Yes, yeah. uh, some of the guys I mean, who tur who turned heads in prospects camp: Ethan Del Mastro, Nolan Allen, uh, obviously Renzel Ludwinski were high picks, and we really liked. And we need clarity on the name. Is it Samuel Savoy or Samuel Savoy? Because it's spelled the same way as Savoy, Matthew Savoy, but someone call I can't call him Savoy. Well, Matt Savoy is a French name as well. So we we should technically probably, if we're being true to the roots, we should technically <laughs> be calling Matt Savoy Matt Savoy. But uh, I think because, because he's not from Quebec, uh, we go with Savoy for him, and we should probably go with Savoy for Samuel. <laughs> so it's uh, I think it can go either way with those two. But, uh, I mean, Rintel's awesome. I like that as a third first-round pick swing. Uh, if they're truly committed to a four or five year process, as 
Jonathan Taves kind of told our, <laughs> our Mark Lazarus yesterday. Yep. Um, yeah. If if that's the plan, then, then Renzel makes a lot of sense as a guy who you can wait for. And as a guy who's maybe a little bit rough around the edges, has played at lower levels, didn't come through and, and sort of play the USHL route or the NTDP route, but was still a big favorite, uh, I know, for a fact, of, of their U.S. scouts. The, the Blackhawks' U.S. scouts loved him all year. Um, they thought about trying to get him in the second round and then ultimately decided to pull the trigger on, in the first round. Um, so there's there's a lot at play with Rinzel. He's a big, long kid who can really move, plays with confidence offensively, and there's just this belief that if he spends three years in college that that he could be a very good player coming out the other end of it and a, a, an exciting player because of the length and because of what that might mean as far as the skating for his ability to defend, his ability to play in transition and carry pucks up ice, uh, all of that. So uh, excited to see what happens with him. Ludwinski is actually a kid I was maybe a little bit lower on than some. I, I've got a lot of time for him. He's a fireball. He's the classic sort of go-getter, always moving bouncing around the ice, finish every check, get after it, never stops moving his feet. That's his bread and butter. I do worry that he's actually, and I've spoken to folks in Kingston about this, but that he's actually a little too hectic, um, that he's that there's, there's a time and place for him to just slow down and figure out what's happening on the ice rather than chasing the play all the time. Um, but coaches are endeared by that, right? Coaches love the kid who just works his tail off and, uh, has skill between the between all that effort there's there's little flashes and bursts of skill as well so if he can become kind of a scrappy energizing fan favorite third line forward type uh that's that's good value at that pick so i think that's ultimately what they're hoping he's going to become um so i like i like the rinzel and the uh and the uh the woodwinski picks the, the the other kids the del mastros the nolan allens i was obviously pretty i was quite critical uh, of their draft two years ago. I was uh, very kind to their draft this year, but was pretty critical of it two years ago. <laughs> and uh, I still don't love where they were picked, but both of those kids had 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 strong years. Like they kind of progressed like you'd hoped they would last season. Del Mastro's uh, started playing on the power play and getting sort of a better feel for the game offensively. The big worry with him was that he was always this big, strong, physical, sort of stay-at-home defender type, but would he be talented enough would he have the softer skills he needs to progress to the nhl level and i think last year uh, he started to to just look a little bit more comfortable out there obviously just because he's playing the power play means nothing right he's never going to be a power play guy at the next level but it's good to see him in that role at lower levels that he can sort of figure it out uh and then same same kind of thing with nolan allen nolan's he's he was drafted for his ability defensively for his strengths for his length uh, for the way that he skated, people were blown away by how strong he was defensively at U18 Worlds uh, when he played for Canada. So um, that that was the reason he was drafted. I wouldn't have taken that kind of a kid in the first round. Yep. Um, but it, that doesn't mean he's a bad prospect either. I think he's got a chance to become uh, a, a sort of solid number four, number five, number six defenseman. Uh, my belief would just be that you're you're trying to target something more than that uh, when you're drafting him where they drafted him, right? Like you, you're not looking for a third pairing defenseman, right? So, um, yeah, I, th I think both of those guys, Del Mastro and Allen, have a chance to be a third pairing defenseman. I would bet that only one of them makes it, uh, 
but if, if that, I think that was, that was kind of their play, right? They tried to draft three or four of those kids. And if one of them makes it and becomes a really solid uh, sort of stay at home defender, then maybe that, that works out. So uh, there's also something to be said for what the blue lines in Tampa and in uh, for what the blue lines in Tampa and in uh, St. Louis have looked like, right? Like, it's copycat league and the blue lines in Tampa and St. Louis when they won their cups were the longest, biggest blue lines in the league, right? They were all these six foot three, six foot four defenders who just took away time and space. And I think teams in the last couple of drafts have, have gone back that way. Things trended a little bit in the other direction with the Samuel Girards finding success and at the Adam Foxes finding success, the Quinn Hughes is finding success. But now there's definitely, uh, again, as there was for decades, there's a belief that you need, you can get smaller up front, but you still need that that sort of big, strong blue line to have success. And uh, I'm not sure I subscribe to that belief, maybe quite like the Blackhawks do, but um, <laughs> who knows, right? They're, those kids, they, they again, they they progressed well. Last year kind of went well for them. It wasn't some meteoric, meteoric takeoff. Uh, but they both had solid post-draft seasons as far as what they are as players. Scott, you've been incredibly generous with your time. Uh, we asked you for 20 minutes. You gave us 45 almost. And uh, phenomenal stuff, man. I think a lot of Hawks fans are excited. I know you know, rebuilds can be tough. We've talked about this a lot. But when you see the light at the end of the tunnel, it, it sounds it sounds a lot better and easier, an easier pill to swallow. So thanks for your time. And I'm sure we'll be checking in often with you. Uh, over the months and years ahead because uh, there's not going to be a ton to talk about uh, at the United Center. So, Scott, thanks so much for your time, man. We appreciate it. Hey, who knows? Maybe a year from now we're talking about Connor Bedard or Matt Bamichkov or Adam Fantilli as a black pop. That's so. what we want. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> I think that's the plan. Sign me up. Exactly. That's the goal. <laughs> All right, Scott. Thanks, man. We appreciate the time. Cheers, guys. All right, you too. Uh, make sure you're following Scott on Twitter at Scott C. Wheeler. He is the national reporter for NHL Draft and Prospects at The Athletic. And keep your eye out for his work as a World Junior Championships approach. All right. We don't have a ton of time left in the show, believe it or not. Earlier today, <laughs> uh, Max Domi met the media in Chicago via Zoom and had a lot to say. You know, uh, good interview, clearly. Uh, you know, he's he's very media savvy knows how to talk, is not just kind of a robotic say-whatever-you-want-to-say sort of a thing. And it got my attention and our attention that he said during his press conference uh, that I want to get the exact quote here. Um, he, he said, as soon as you guys hired Luke Richardson as your head coach, I called my agent and said, hey, I want to go to Chicago. Now, that is... Look, like, there you go. <laughs> I can't recall the last Big time deal. a player in Chicago was said, I want to go to this place because of the coach. That's that's a new one. <laughs> the only one I can yeah. sort of think of that we've had in recent history that's like that would maybe be Joe Madden. But the Cubs were already yeah. so set at that time. They didn't really bring in anybody. They just kind of had to solidify what they already had. But that's me. And look, I wrote about it for allchgo.com yesterday. It's only been a month since Luke Richardson was hired, and so much BS has happened since then. You forget how good we all felt about that hire. And to hear Max Domi come out and say, as soon as I saw that, I wanted to be part of things here in Chicago. That's significant, and that matters. And no matter what you think of Max Domi, the player, and how valuable he is or how he'll be in Chicago, fine. But you had a player of note 
going to his agent and saying, I want to play for this franchise because of that guy. And that is awesome news. There's that's very exciting. It's a big deal. Like, yeah, I know all right, people say Max Domi. That doesn't exactly, you know, get the championship t-shirts printed and, and it, just by bringing him in. Like, it's not the most exciting addition we've ever made. But the fact that there are guys that want to come here to play for this coach is a big deal. And that's a big deal going forward as the Hawks start to get better. Uh, hopefully, over the next three or you know two three years, as these young players they bring in start to develop, all of a sudden other players, established players, say, "Man, Luke Richardson's a guy I want to play for," and that can make a big difference. And that's the type of thing that, you know, when you when you get back to the navigating the salary cap, we're not there yet, but you know, a guy could say, "Yeah, I'll take a million dollars less to play for Luke Richardson," and that could help you as you build your team. So that it's positive to hear that. But when you look at Domi, look at his numbers. What two seasons jump off the page in his career? So two seasons he played in Montreal with uh, Luke Richardson on that staff, uh, mainly that 2018-19 season where he scored 28 goals and 72 points. Uh, you know, that was by far his best season, both goals and assists. The next season he had 17 and 44 points. So his best you know, his best season and his second best season of his career came playing for Luke Richardson. So he got, he saw that th he's got a chance to do it again and he jumped at it, especially in a season where he knows, Hey, this is me telling the rest of the league that I'm a guy you can lock up long-term, whether that's here in Chicago as part of the rebuild or he gets traded and, and then resigns somewhere else, but proves that he can be a top six player he saw that opportunity playing for Luke Richardson, and he and he jumped at it. That's big for the Blackhawks going forward. Yeah, and I think the Richardson effect is something that you also have to keep in mind when talking about Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane. Richardson, who by all accounts has the resume of a guy ready to be an NHL head coach, and the personal skills and being able to have a, a fourteen hundred plus game NHL career, be able to relate to you know, a, a younger generation of player and be able to connect with, with, with players on a, on a, on a better level uh, than have previously experienced. That could be a factor. And, and I think it's definitely going to be a positive factor uh, moving forward for, for the young players. And I think, you know, we, like you said, Jay, like you kind of forgot how we all felt about Richardson. Domi's comments kind of like reshook those, those feelings of like, Hey, yeah, like actually, <laughs> the Blackhawks have a coach coming in that that people uh, respect and people are excited about. So I, I think it's, it's it, it makes a big difference if, if success in terms of the rebuild is found early on. Um, I think you know Richardson's going to have a, a opportunity to to see out you know everything in Chicago. Yeah, uh, Max Domi went on in his presser to elaborate a little bit on Luke Richardson, and we uh, had um, our producer Lawrence pull that video. So let's play. It's about 90 seconds of Max Domi waxing poetic about Luke Richardson. He's uh, probably one of the nicest, I mean, humble, calming guys to talk to I've ever met in the game of hockey. And he's he's played a long, long time, had a lot, a lot of success, both as a player and, and as a coach too. I mean, um, you ask anyone in that decor in Montreal, Shea Weber included, um, I mean, Carey Price, they, they all loved him. And it's it's not by mistake. He got a head coaching job in original six uh, organizations. So um, I mean, Luke is, is one of those guys that you're excited to go, I mean, to battle for every single night. You're excited to learn from. 
Um, he, he's the kind of guy that shows so much respect to his players, um, which obviously is, 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 is great from our perspective. And, and you want to work for a guy like that. He's, he's an absolute machine off the ice. You see him in the gym, um, even on the ice, he would do some, some bag skates and some skating things with us after practice and whatnot, if you're injured or out of the line or whatever it might've been. So, um, that's the kind of people that you want to surround yourself with. And, and he's one of those guys that, um, leads by example. Um, and I've never met anyone that has a bad word to say about Luke. Um, and the game, we're outside of the game. And obviously you have a personal connection. He's, 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 he's someone I'm very close to in the game. And, and I'm just so pumped for him, for the opportunity he has to be head coach, um, especially for Chicago. And, and to be able to play for him is, is something that, I mean, I wouldn't pass up. And, and I try to take full advantage of because, I mean, I, I absolutely love the guy. He's awesome and uh, super excited to play for him and, and empty the day for him. That's very cool. It's just cool to hear that, you know, in a month that's been a really tough grind to be a Hawks fan, uh, to have a guy come up and say, hey, this is an exciting time. And this guy is someone I'd, I'd skate through a brick wall for. Uh, that's exciting. And, and you know, even even Tave sort of alluded to, hey, I'm excited about it. this is one of the things that's making me kind of maybe think about staying is playing for Luke Richardson. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, I'm going to write about it today for all CHGO dot uh, com. It'll be up uh, probably this evening. I've got some stuff to tend to before I write it, but it'll be out tonight. Uh, so check that out. We've got Greg's history piece coming tomorrow. But more importantly, we've got Greg's play of the week. And if you want to get rich and become a millionaire, parentheses, this is not a guarantee of success. Gamble at your own risk, et cetera, et cetera. Here is Greg with our points bet play of the week. Yeah, my uh, my pro tip is to take this bet and bet the opposite if you if you want a better shot at winning because uh, my record has not been great of late. Uh, I'm not in Sean you were, Anderson you were territory. You really close last week. I know, so close. We picked we picked Kyle Busch to win the NASCAR race. He finished in second, but then he got disqualified anyway. So you know, <laughs> Kyle Busch gonna Kyle Busch, I guess. So yeah, uh, we're gonna go to the world of baseball. We're gonna go to the Cubs because. Why else would you watch the Cubs these days unless you got some money on it? So uh, late night baseball in San Francisco. I love the old – I love late night Cubs games because it reminds me of like being a kid and like sneaking up, keeping my old black and white TV in my room on like really low <laughs> so my dad didn't hear me awake at 10 o'clock uh, on a school night. So I love the old time, the, the late night games. We're going to go with pitcher Justin Steele. I think he's due for uh, a, a good start here, and I'm going to bet – the Justin Steele to record seven plus strikeouts. That's at plus one fifty. It sounds like a lot of strikeouts, but Justin Steele is a guy that's recorded over seven strikeouts four times this season. He's averaging nearly one strikeout per inning. He's got eighty-one strikeouts in eighty-seven innings, and the Giants are a team that likes to strike out. They are in the top 10 in overall strikeouts this season. So they're they're a team that misses the ball a lot. Justin Steele's a pitcher that can make you miss the ball. I just think uh, it's the right combination. I think he's going to have some some Ks tonight. So hopefully gets, you know, two out of the first three batters out with strikeouts and get a little excitement going. We'll see what happens. So that's my play. Justin Steele, seven-plus strikeouts against the Giants at plus 150. So there's some good value there. Love it. All right, download the PointsBet app. Use that code CHGO when you sign up, and you'll get those two risk-free bets up to two grand and make one the play of the week. Uh, The other thing we want to tell you about is our CHGO tailgate coming up this Saturday at Soldier Field on the Waldron deck, 2 p.m. That's July 30th, 2 p.m. 
The Fire and the Red Stars are both playing games at Soldier Field. We will be there with our friends from Revolution Brewing. Come out and say hello. You don't need a ticket to the game to attend a tailgate. Just come on by. Stop by. Maybe you've got some other plans uh, down towards, you know, Grant Park-ish area. Stop by the tailgate on your way down to Lollapalooza. Say hello. Slam a few revolutions uh, with us and uh, come meet the CHGO crew ahead of an exciting day of footy at Soldier yeah. Field. It's going to be an awesome time. So come out and say hello. 2 p.m. and Saturday on the Waldron Deck at Soldier Field. And check out the CHGO Sports main Twitter account. We're giving away five pairs of tickets to this doubleheader as well. So if you want to join the tailgate and maybe get into the game for free, check out CHGO underscore sports for your uh, the details on how you can win a pair of tickets to both games as well. The other thing you need to check out on the CHGO account <laughs> Is so Herb, many things is Herb Lawrence. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Herb Lawrence, Herbie, oh. my guy, <laughs> being significantly faster than yes, Manny Grandal, uh, but also eating it. No, <laughs> no, not faster. I thought, no, was, he didn't, I thought no. the time was seven seven. He had to beat. No, 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 no. no. Four, four, seven. Oh, four, four seven, seven, four seven yes. seven. Yeah. Unfortunately, well, we, gravity won in the run. end. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, I feel I, for Herb because I never would have done that. And I, I, I like once Herb got to top speed, he was rather impressive. It just took a while to get there, and I feel his pain. I, I, yeah. I know what that's like. Um, so it's amazing. It, it's it, you got to check that out as it's, well. See, I, I miss Herb. I thought it was, I thought the target was seven point seven, and I've seen his money Grandal run, and I'm like, that checks. That sounds about right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I, there's some amazing comments on that tweet. <laughs> yeah. Some guy took oh, a video of some, I, I don't know if it's Chuck Norris or someone like loading a rifle and like, like getting, getting it's from like Clint a Eastwood movie. Yeah. yeah. And then, then they, they keep cut the video to her running and then back to the guy shooting and then her falling. I mean, oh, like, man. Eight plus content. That's just amazing. That's great. This is yeah. why we love our CHGO <laughs> listeners. You guys yeah. are the best. Yeah, including the graphic that Daniel made of the three of us at the worshiping at the feet of Phil Kessel yesterday. That was a fun one too. <laughs> that was uh, quite the thing. I've never been photoshopped on a picture of uh, Jesus before, so um, that was a new thing. And um, hey, hey, I loved it. It was great. Yeah, give, give, me, give me Phil Kessel in Chicago, baby. Yeah, let's do it. You got to worship at the Church of Kessel. That's right. All right, we're back tomorrow. Audio only. Uh, usually look for the podcast around noon, give or take a few half hours there, here or there. The plan for now, <laughs> and things always seem to throw a wrench, you know, into our plans. But the plan for now is to finally celebrate Duncan Keith, not celebrate his retirement, but celebrate his career uh in because of that cap penalty yeah exactly so that's the plan for now but leave it to the blackhawks to break some news between now and then and if they do we'll be on top of it as always but want to thank uh lawrence for producing the show scott wheeler for joining us uh this was a great episode tell your hawks fan friends to check this one out because if they're curious about the next few years of the hawks and what the hell the hawks are doing Scott Wheeler painted a really nice picture for us. So uh, share this one, share them all, but hit that retweet button, share it on Facebook, whatever you want to do. Uh, this is one that will interest all the Hawks fans in your lives. So for Greg and Mario and Lawrence, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to the CHGO Blackhawks podcast.